do this. And then we got a microphone. Okay, I think we're ready. <laughs> Let's try that again, shall we? How low can you guys go? Pig stomach soup, abracadabra, and an amazing elephant rescue. Welcome to the Jay Sheldon Show. Happy Saturday night. We are live on Facebook. And if I'm not mistaken, we actually have audio now. By the way, if somebody could put in the chat whether or not you can actually hear me, that would help. Because uh, I, my monitors say we're okay. What really happens once it gets out there? God only knows. But anyway, yeah, we got all that and more coming up tonight. We got a packed show tonight. And of course, at the end of the show, we'll do another chapter. We're starting a new chapter tonight with uh, The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes. So that is coming up. And uh, much more going on uh, right now. Hey, Nazrul Safri Paijo. Thank you for the like. Appreciate it. And the hello. Right, hat tip to you. All right. Uh, it's time to get you updated on our favorite little furry lady. Miko update. <laughs> yes, the Miko update. Our little Shiba Inu girl is doing very well. She was uh, having a hell of a day today. Uh, just kind of, she's very judgmental today. Here, let me show you what I mean, all right? If you're watching on the uh, uh, live video or our video playback, you'll be, be able to see Miko. Uh, otherwise, if you're on the podcast, just check out our live show on rumble.com or youtube or facebook check it out uh anyway yeah this was her at the top of our stairs today uh while i'm vacuuming i'm doing the housework and she's sitting up there judging me yeah i, I it gets closer here you go here's another one uh, you see you see that look on her face like what are you doing are, are you did you miss a spot she she really does she she gets this judgmental bit about her but uh, <laughs> anyway, that's her. We love her to death, and uh, yeah, she's a she's a cool little girl. We uh, we can't get enough of her. She has stopped the shedding, by the way. Uh, loud and clear says uh, Naz. Thank you very much for that. Appreciate it. All right. Yes, uh, for all those of naysayer idiots out there who were uh, talking about uh, Bon Odori Festival, Obon Festival, which just happened tonight. In fact, it is just wrapping up at uh, the stadium uh, Matsushita Panasonic in uh, Section 21 in Sha'alam here in uh, Malaysia. And it was a once again, a unbelievable success, as it always is. It's been not held for a couple of years because, you know, pandemic and all that crap. But these are pictures from just today from a uh, page on Facebook called Malaysia Events. Thank you, Malaysia Events. The link is in our show notes tonight, so you can check them out yourself if you like. And look at that. Wow, that is a crowd it's as big as i've ever seen it and that's fantastic i am so glad those backwoods cave dwelling morons 
uh, had virtually no effect whatsoever because the majority of people understand just how ridiculous they're being and uh, just enjoying uh, Bon Odori uh, here in Malaysia. Tens of thousands of people. Look at that crowd. Look at that. Uh, absolutely amazing and such a great thing to see. Lots of food, lots of entertainment, uh, lots going on. Look at the crowd. That is fantastic. I had a scheduling conflict. You know how I am about everything Japanese. Um, but I just could not make it this year, which tore me apart. But uh, anyway, uh, it was held. It was an, another enormous success and uh, absolutely fantastic. Look, look at that. On and on. Everybody dressed up in their uh, kimonos and yukatas. Fantastic. Unbelievable. What a great success. Congratulations again to the folks who put this together. And uh, wow, good, good news and lots of excitement. I hope everybody that went had a, uh, had a great time. All right. Um, what else? We, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, we promised you something about the stupid left. We'll get to that in a minute. This almost relates, but not quite. As you know, uh, we did the story about how the... All right, hold on, because now I've got this stupid thing going on here. Wait, let me pause that. Okay. Uh, there was a video playing in the background of the next page. Uh, I, I did not put the link to this in the show notes tonight, because if you want to look it up, look it up. I told you in our last thing, I refuse to give these idiots any publicity, which is all they're after. I will not put their faces on my show. I will not mention their names on my show. But this idiot couple that tried to destroy the Crack House Comedy Club uh, have been charged in court. Their bail has been set. Uh, between the two of them, it's 40,000 ringgit. Now get this. These losers are looking to go to crowdfunding to raise their bail. Please don't give them any. Please, if you have a righteous bone in your body, if a, one little piece of your DNA has any common decency, you will ignore these fools for the fools they are, and you will do your best wherever they find their little crowdfunding site you know what? You can rot in jail until your trial. Just sit there. Look around and find out, as they say. You probably should have thought of the fact that you couldn't afford the bail before you went ahead and did some stupid thing like what you did. Huh? Hmm? Little pre-thinking? A little use of the phrase, and then what? Which is a big thing we talk about around here. Yeah. Well, I'm going to do this, okay? And then what? Sit in jail and rot, you morons. By the way, I understand that uh, Riesel has also been, uh, I don't know if he's been arrested or if he's being investigated. Dumbest thing on earth I've ever heard of. I can't believe it's gone to this point. It's got to stop. This is just insane. But anyway, I didn't share the link and I'm not going to put it up on the show. I'm just going to tell you these two buffoons are looking for crowdfunding for their bail. And I'm telling you, if you want to give to them, you do you. But just unfriend me. Go away. Don't watch the show. I'm not interested in having you as part of my audience. You're an idiot. If you think these two deserve any of your money, let alone your attention. All right. Somebody else who doesn't deserve your attention. As you may or may not have heard, Ivanka Trump passed away. She is the ex-wife of President Donald Trump. 
sad, sad thing. And uh, most of the country was uh, expressing their sympathies and their condolences to the Trump family for the loss of, uh, uh, she was, uh, I think, Ivanka and perhaps Don Jr.'s mom. Uh, anyway, Ivanka Trump passed away uh, this past week. The left, being the left, showed exactly how twisted and evil they are. Someone here in Malaysia posted this. Now, this person has no connection that I'm aware of with the U.S. All they likely do is get their news from CNN or MSNBC. And this person posted what a lot of other lefty whack nut jobs posted in the U.S., which is an example of exactly how sick and twisted and evil these people are. Take a look at this. This is unbelievable. God took the wrong Trump. Are you freaking kidding me? Is your... Trump derangement syndrome so bad that you would lower yourself to posting this publicly? Are you out of your mind? Are you that evil? I don't, you know, just get it off the screen. Just dump this. It's beyond me. Pathetic doesn't begin to describe it. Unbelievable. And somebody made the comment, no, she was awful too. Nice, Eric. Brilliant. Is that the sort of human being you are? Is that where your morals are? God took the wrong Trump. What kind of evil, evil, twisted person put something like this up on the death and passing of another human being? This is the kind of idiots, this is the kind of evil we are dealing with. Something's got to make it stop. Unbelievable. I got another one for you. This is from uh, Rumble.com, in fact, from the Bongino Report. Uh, this fellow um, is at the Clay County School District. And he found some books in the library that he wanted to one he wanted to ask why they were in the library and in order to show you uh, show the school board this is a school board meeting public uh, the public can come up and make comments at the school board meeting so at the school board meeting this guy actually uh, wanted to read from one of the books that the school board allowed in the kids school library Watch what happens. Hang on a second. Let me get my, uh, my audio up here. Here we go. Watch what happens. Um, tonight, I'm going to give a sampling from three books that are in our libraries, the Fleming School and the Oakleaf School. And then we can discuss, you can discuss, the process by which these books get on the shelves because there's a Clay County employee that got paid to put this book, 
Lucky by Alice Sebold. <coughs> We're going to read things. If there's children watching, cover their ears. He began to need I'm going to stop you right there, sir. I'm going to stop you right there. Turn the microphone mm -hmm. off. Turn off his microphone, please. I've told you I'm stopping you. The reason I'm stopping you is because these meetings are, if you'll hush your mouth for a minute and listen, instead of just talking, you may only learn something. Unbelievable. The problem is, sir, is these meetings are broadcast. There are people at home that are watching it on YouTube. There are people that are watching it on community television. Are you going to listen or are you going to run your mouth? And you'll get it back. But you'll get it back to talk about something besides reading pornography into a, a public television set. Reading pornography into a public television set. First of all, these books are in the library. They've been approved by the school board to be in the library. So the kids can go in the library and read these books, but this guy's not allowed to read them in a public forum at a school board meeting. And then this guy says, just shut your mouth. Dude, maybe you don't get the idea that you work for that public guy. You are his employee. There but for the grace of that guy goes you. You were elected to that position by the public. You work for them. Just shut your mouth. Are you kidding me with this crap? This is the kind of idiots we have to deal with. And again, to get back to the main point of the whole thing, why is that book in the library to begin with if whatever's in it that he was going to read couldn't be, and the guy himself labels it as pornography? We've gotten to a point, folks, and it's got to, it's, it's got to change. It has got to change. It is slowly changing. Slowly people are waking up, not going woke, waking up. There's a big difference. But very slowly people are realizing this ain't going to fly. People are questioning. And in fact, Rich, this is perfect. What a great tie-in. Richard Kerr, there's a link to this, and it's just a little text meme. But uh, brilliant, brilliant that uh, Richard put up on his, uh, his Facebook. Take a look at this. The age of authenticity is here. People are questioning mainstream media, big corporations, and hard selling. And people now prefer independent sources, communities that provide value and humanized brands. What's next? Exactly. You could stop right there. People are questioning. No more just blindly follow what the government tells you or what some board uh, tells you or the WHO or the World Economic Forum moron Nazis. Can I say that? Too late. Already did. People are questioning. People need to continue to question and not just Drink the Kool-Aid. Unbelievable. All right. Hold on. I got to cut this thing out here. Let's uh, get down to... Where are we going? Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I got to change the subject because it's getting too dark and it's just ticking me off. There's too much crap going on. It's just unbelievable. We're winning. We're slowly winning the fight. But it's a slow process. So uh, let me just get to this one more thing, which is not a 
not a heavy thing. It's a funny thing. You know Stephen Bones? Good old Stephen Bones from Stephen Bones Everything. Very talented guy and a good friend. Stephen, I haven't talked to you in quite a while. Well, he has put together a video channel for his mom. And it is called Auntie Achun. And uh, Auntie, Auntie Achun is Stephen Bones' mom. And she is a phenomenal cook. Not that I would really want this, but uh, Alvin Wong liked the stream. Thank you, Alvin. All right. Good to have you along for the ride. Get this. Now, again, if you're into halal food, this is not going to be a big one for you. In fact, it's not a big one for me because I've tried this. And while the soup base itself is delicious, it's got what we call extra parts in it. That means like, you know, intestines and liver and gizzards and <laughs> stomach. Oh, man. Anyway, please go check this out. I put the link in the show notes because it's a lot of fun. And uh, Stephen's mom is such a character. She is such a hoot. And I think Stephen uh, is part of this show. I, I can't play the audio because of copyright and all that stuff. But there's a link in our show notes to this. And just subscribe to her channel while you're there and check it out. There's Stephen's mom. There's subtitles because it's in Chinese. I'm not sure what uh, what dialect, but she's got all the parts there. She shows, shows how to... How to uh, Oh, that's a stomach. Yuck. Okay, maybe this wasn't so good to show on the air. But anyway, uh, yeah, people do eat this stuff. They really do. And some find it delicious and tasty. I have tried it before because I will try anything once. I will absolutely try anything once. And then if I don't like it, I won't try it again. So, yes, I have tried this. You see, there's some intestines there and some other stuff. <laughs> anyway, um, the point is his mom does a great job on this show, and it's fascinating. And you can learn to cook some Chinese dishes at the same time. So, uh, yeah, if you have a chance, go check it out. The link is in our show notes down below. And uh, it is called, like I said, it's Auntie Achun is the channel, and it is Stephen Bone's mom. We love her. <laughs> Fantastic. All right. What else have we got going on here? We got, uh, oh, pirates. Yeah. No, no, it's not another Johnny Depp Amber story. Hold on, coffee break. Mm. It is not another Johnny Depp story, I promise you. It is, however, a pirate story. When you think of a pirate, what do you think of? Big swashbuckler's hat, sword, maybe a parrot on the shoulder, and maybe some gold teeth. What's the one thing I'm forgetting? Yes, an eye patch. Every pirate has to have an eye patch. But when you think about it, did every pirate lose one eye? No. And I found out the answer today, and that is the coolest thing ever. You know, it's I was today years old when I found out. That's with this thing. It's complete garbage. It means nothing. It won't change your life. But that's part of what we do on this show. In addition to making some comments about idiots and social commentary about fools out in the public making fools of themselves and proving just how dumb they are, uh, we also find some cool stuff we share with you. Now, why do pirates wear eye patches? It's not why you think. Wouldn't they see better with two eyes? Yes, in fact, they would. 
Stay with me for this one. When they're on deck on the ship, the sun is out, it's bright, it's well lit. When they have to go down into the belly of the ship, it's dark. Takes your eyes some time to adjust to the darkness. That's what the eye patch was for. It's called dark adapting. Can take up to 25 minutes for your eyes to actually fully transition from extreme light to extreme darkness. So, pirates would often move above and below deck. By wearing an eye patch, one eye would be constantly dark and dark adapted. So when the pirate went below deck, move the eye patch. Boom, he can instantly see clearly in the dark. Makes perfect sense. Just switch the eye patch and their sight in the darkness far better than someone with no eye patch and no dark adaptive eye. You can actually try this yourself. Um, when you go home or later or whatever, turn the lights off in one room of your house and cover one eye with your hand while you're standing in a lit room. Then after a fashion, you know, let your eyes get adjusted. Go into the dark room and uncover your eye, and you'll notice just how much of a difference it makes compared to just when you walk around in a dark room. So there you have it. All those years you've been conned into thinking pirates were blind in one eye. Not the case. They were actually thinking outside the box to be able to see below deck. How cool is that? Huh? That's what I'm telling you. We just got the, the strangest little things we find and we share on this show. Very cool. Um, Aldwin says, oh, I missed a bunch of chats there, Aldwin. Sorry. Some people shouldn't even have any children. Yeah, well, that's true. Uh, pathetic. I love pork stomach soup and I hate pirates. <laughs> I don't know. I'm kind of a fan of pirates. I like. I think I would have made a good pirate. That would have been fun. I would have enjoyed. Uh, I would have enjoyed the pirate life. Why not? <laughs> All right. I got one more story because we always end with uh, a good news story. And um, this is it. This uh, you've probably seen this if you're in Southeast Asia. Uh, this particular one is from theguardian.com. The link is in our show notes. That's our description down below or to the side, wherever it is. Uh, it is an amazing rescue that happened in Thailand, but not the rescue of somebody. It's the rescue of an elephant and an elephant baby. Check out this story. I'm not going to read the whole thing. You can go to our link in our show notes and read the whole story, but you've got to see this. There's video too. Uh, elephant and baby saved in dramatic rescue from a manhole in Thailand. Boom lift, digger, and resuscitation used in the operation that took place in heavy rain in Khao Yai National Park. And there is a overview of what happened. What happened was uh, veterinarian park staff pulled off a dramatic rescue of a pair of elephants in Thailand that involved the use of a boom lift, a digger, and the resuscitation of an unconscious mother by three people. The rescue took place in the pouring rain in the central Nakhon Nayok province on Wednesday, so just a couple few days ago. A one-year-old elephant fell into a roadside drainage hole. The distressed mom stood guard over her calf, according to National Park staff, but she also fell in shortly after she was sedated. 
They were trying to rescue the calf, but of course they had to sedate the mom, otherwise she would be protecting her calf. Rescuers used a truck-mounted boom lift to pull the mother out and then climbed on top of her to perform simultaneous CPR as a digger cleared away the earth so the ancient baby could climb out from the slippery mud. The calf began suckling its mother, who soon regained consciousness and both returned immediately to the wild. There is video of this, and uh, check this out. Uh, Some viewers might find this footage distressing. I find it absolutely fascinating and so heartwarming. They sedated the mother. She's actually fallen unconscious right on top of the baby into this hole. It's just, so they use a boom here. You see they're getting her out and now they, they are jumping up on top. There's the, there's the baby trying to get out of the hole. They're moving the dirt and there, there goes the one-year-old calf rescued. And there they are. Look at that. Performing CPR on an elephant using their weight to put pressure on the elephant's chest to wake her up. Look at that. Get her heart started again. Oh, man. And there's mom and baby. All the rescue workers clearing out so they're not in harm's way. Not a bad idea. And uh, look at the pouring rain, too. And look at that. There goes mom and baby back out into the jungle. What heroes. Man, I'm telling you. Look at that. Unbelievable. Did I tell you? Man. Wow. That's a story. Check it out. The link is in our show notes. Wow. These guys just did, guys and gals, did incredible work. That is absolutely unbelievable. Wow. I love to be able to bring these kind of stories to you guys. Amazing. Uh, Aldon said, pirates kidnap my people from my state to kill them and sell their organs. Eey. I hope not. All right. <laughs> let's, <clears throat> let's move on to something <clears throat> maybe a little more uh, a little more upbeat. Although, I don't know. Sometimes Sherlock Holmes gets a little dark. Uh, yeah, we're reading. Uh, we read books on this show. We've always done that for almost all 238 episodes of the, uh, the Jay Sheldon show. And uh, we're doing Sherlock Holmes these days. If you'd like, you can uh, go over to the Gutenberg Project, which is gutenberg.org, and uh, you'll find all the books here. They're all in the public domain. They're totally 100% free. You can download them as HTML or text files, or even uh, some of the books are in ebook format. So you can read it on your Kindle or whatever. Uh, but they're all there. They're all the classics, and uh, we've done a bunch of them. The Wizard of Oz, Peter Pan, Alice in Wonderland, The Little Prince, uh, Winnie the Pooh. So, yeah. Uh, Right now, we've been doing Sherlock Holmes, and we're starting a brand new adventure tonight. Each chapter is a new case for Sherlock Holmes. It's all told uh, from the perspective of his assistant, Dr. Watson. And tonight, we begin the adventure of the Blue Carbuncle. I had called upon my friend, Sherlock Holmes, upon the second morning after Christmas, with the intention of wishing him all the compliments of the season. He was lounging upon the sofa in a purple dressing gown, a pipe rack within his reach upon the right, and a pile of crumpled morning papers, evidently newly studied near at hand. Beside the couch was a wooden chair, and on an angle of the back hung a very seedy and disreputable 
hard felt hat, much the worse for wear and cracked in several places. A lens and a forceps lay upon the seat of the chair, suggested that the hat had been suspended in this manner for the purpose of examination. "'You are engaged,' said I. "'Perhaps I interrupt you.' Ha, "'Not at all. I'm glad to have a friend with whom I can discuss my results. "'The matter is a perfectly trivial one,' he jerked his thumb in the direction of the old hat. "'But there are points in connection with it which are not entirely devoid of interest, and even of instruction.' While I seated myself in his armchair and warmed my hands before his crackling fire, for a sharp frost had set in and the windows were thick with ice crystals. I suppose, I remarked, that, homely as it looks, this thing has done some deadly story linked onto it, that it's the clue with which will guide you to the solution of some mystery and the punishment of some crime. No, no crime said her, Sherlock Holmes, laughing. Only one of those whimsical little incidents which will happen when you have four million human beings all jostling each other within the space of a few square miles. Amid the action and reaction of so dense a swarm of humanity, every possible combination of events may be expected to take place, and many a little problem will be presented which may be striking and bizarre, without being criminal. We have already had experience of such. So much so, I remarked, that of the last six cases which I've added to my notes, three have been entirely free of any legal case. Precisely. You allude to my attempt to cover the Irene Adler papers, to the singular case of Miss Mary Sutherland, and to the adventure of a man with the twisted lip. Well, I have no doubt that this small matter will fall into the same innocent category. You know, Peterson, the commissionaire? Yes. It is to him that this trophy belongs. It is his hat? No, no, he found it. Its owner is unknown. I beg you'll look upon it not as a battered billycock, but as an intellectual problem. And first, as to how it came here. It arrived upon Christmas morning in the company of a good fat goose, which is, I have no doubt, roasting at this moment in front of Peterson's fire. The facts are these. About four o'clock on Christmas morning, Peterson, who, as you know, is a very honest fellow, was returning from some small jollification and was making his way homeward down Tottenham Road Court Road. In front of him, he saw in the gaslight a tallish man walking with a slight stagger and carrying a white goose slung over his shoulder. Well, as he reached the corner of Good Street, a row broke out between this stranger and a little knot of ruffs. One of the latter knocked off the man's hat, on which he raised his stick to defend himself, and swinging it over his head, smashed the shop window behind him. Peterson had rushed forward to protect the stranger from his assailants, but the man, shocked at having broken the window, and seeing an official-looking person in uniform rushing towards him, dropped his goose, took to his heels, and vanished amidst the labyrinth of small streets which lie at the back of Tottenham Court Road. 
The roughs had also fled at the appearance of Peterson, so that he was left in possession of the field of battle and also of the spoils of victory in the shape of this battered hat and a most unimpeachable Christmas goose, which surely he restored to their owner. Oh, my dear fellow, there lies the problem. It is true that for Mrs. Henry Baker was printed upon a small card which was tied to the bird's left foot. And it's also true the initials H.B. are legible upon the lining of this hat. But as there are some thousands of bakers and some hundreds of Henry Bakers in this city of ours, it's not easy to restore lost property to any one of them. What, then, did Peterson do? Well, he bought, brought round both hat and goose to me on this Christmas morning, knowing that even the smallest problems are of interest to me. The goose we retained until this morning, when there were signs that, in spite of the slight frost, it would be well that it should be eaten without unnecessary delay. Its finder has carried it off, therefore, to fulfill the ultimate destiny of a goose." while I continue to retain the hat of the unknown gentleman who lost his Christmas dinner. Did he not advertise? No. Then what clue could you have to his identity? Oh, only as much as I can deduce. From this hat? Precisely. But you're joking. What can you gather from an old battered felt? Here's my lens. You know my methods. What can you yourself gather as to the individuality of the man who's worn this article? I took the tattered object in my hand, turned it over rather ruefully. It was a very ordinary black hat of the usual round shape, hard and much the worse for wear. The lining had been of red silk, but it was a good deal discolored. There was no marker's name on it, but as Holmes had remarked, the initials H.B. were scrawled upon one side. It was pierced in the brim for a hat securer, but the elastic was missing. For the rest, it was cracked, exceedingly dusty, and spotted in several places, although there seemed to have been some attempt to hide the discolored patches by smearing them with ink. "'I can see nothing,' said I, and handed it back to my friend. "'Oh, on the contrary, Watson,' You can see everything. You fail, however, to reason from what you see. You're too timid in drawing your inferences. Then pray tell me what it is that you can infer from this hat. He picks it up, gazed at it in the peculiar introspective fashion which was characteristic of him. It is perhaps less suggestive than it might have been, he remarked, and yet there are a few inferences which are very distinct, and a few others which represent at least a strong balance of probability. That the man was highly intellectual is, of course, obvious on the face of it, and also that he was fairly well-to-do within the last three years, although he's now fallen upon evil days. He had foresight, but has less now than formerly, pointing to a moral retrogression which, has taken within the decline of his fortunes, seems to indicate some evil influence, probably drink at work upon him. This may account also for the obvious fact that his wife 
has ceased to love him. My dear Holmes! He has, however, retained some degree of self-respect, he continued, disregarding my remonstrance. He's a man who leads a sedentary life, goes out little, is out of training entirely, a middle-aged, grizzled hair which he has cut within the last few days, and which he anoints with lime cream. These are the more patent facts which are to be deduced from this hat. Also, by the way, that it is extremely improbable that he has gas laid on at his house. You, you are certainly joking, Holmes. Oh, not in the least. It is possible that even now, when I give you these results, you are unable to see how they are attained. Look, I have no doubt that I am very stupid. But I must confess I am unable to follow you. For example, how did you deduce the man was an intellectual? For answer, Holmes clapped the hat upon his head. It came right over the forehead and settled on the bridge of his nose. It's a question of cubic capacity, said he. A man with so large a brain must have something in it. The decline of his fortunes, then? Well, this hat is three years old. These flat brims curled at the edge came in, then. It's a hat of the very best quality. Look at the band of ribbed silk and the excellent lining. If this man could afford to buy so expensive a hat three years ago, and has had no hat since, then he most assuredly has gone down in the world. Well, that's clear enough, certainly. But how about the foresight and the moral retrogression? Sherlock Holmes laughed. Here's the foresight, said he, putting his finger upon the little disc and loop of the hat securer. They are never sold upon hats. If this man ordered one, it is a sign of a certain amount of foresight since he went out of his way to take this precaution against the wind. But since we see that he has broken the elastic and hasn't troubled to replace it, it's obvious he has less foresight now than formerly, which is a distinct proof of a weakening nature. On the other hand, he's endeavored to uh, conceal some of these stains upon the felt by daubing them with ink, which is a sign that he has not entirely lost his self-respect. Well, your reasoning is certainly plausible. The further points, that he's middle-aged, his hair is grizzled, and it's been recently cut, and that he uses lime cream, are all to be gathered from a close examination of the lower part of the lining. The lens discloses a large number of hair ends, clean cut by the scissors of a barber, they all appear to be adhesive, and there's a distinct odor of lime cream. This dust, you will observe, is not the gritty gray dust of the street, but the fluffy brown dust of the house, showing it's been hung up indoors most of the time, while the marks of moisture upon the inside are proof positive that the wearer perspired very freely, and could therefore hardly be in the best of training. But his wife, you said she'd ceased to love him? This hat has not been brushed for weeks. When I see you, my dear Watson, with a week's accumulation of dust upon your hat, and when your wife allows you to go out in such a state, 
I shall fear that you also have been unfortunate enough to lose your wife's affection. But he might be a bachelor. Nay, he was bringing home the goose as a peace offering to his wife. Remember the card upon the bird's leg? You have an answer for everything. But how on earth do you deduce that the gas is not laid on in his house? One tallow stain, or even two, might come by chance. But when I see no less than five, I think there can be little doubt that the individual must be brought into frequent contact with burning tallow, walks upstairs at night, probably with his hat in one hand and a guttering candle in the other. Anyhow, he never got tallow stains from a gas jet. Are you satisfied? Well, it is very ingenious, said I, laughing. But since, as you said just now, there's been no crime committed, no harm done, save the loss of a goose, all this seems to be rather a waste of energy. Sherlock Holmes opened his mouth to reply when the door flew open, and Peterson the commissionaire rushed into the apartment with flushed cheeks and the face of a man who is dazed with astonishment. The goose, Mr. Holmes, the goose, sir, he gasped. Huh? What of it then? Has it returned to life and flapped off through the kitchen window? Holmes twisted himself round upon the sofa to get a fairer view of the man's excited face. See her? See here, sir? See what my wife found in its crop? He held out his hand and displayed upon the center of the palm a brilliantly scintillating blue stone, rather smaller than a bean inside, but of such purity and radiance that it tingled like an electric point in the hollow of the hand. Sherlock Holmes sat up with a whistle. Bye! Jove, Peterson, he said, this is a treasure trove indeed. I suppose you know what you've got. A diamond, sir? A precious stone? It cuts into glass as though it were putty. It is more than a precious stone. It is the precious stone. And that's where we'll leave it for tonight. Great spot to knock off. <laughs> all right, cool beans. Nice. We'll find out what that's all about in our next episode coming up on Monday night. All right, folks, that's going to do it. Be sure you uh, give us a like and a follow and a subscribe. Thanks so much. Uh, what else did I miss here? Um, this afternoon, Alwyn said I went to the bowling center with my friends to bowl. I got one strike, two spares, and mostly gutter balls. <laughs> do I bowl? Uh, I don't bowl regularly, but I do bowl, and I love bowling. I've said this before, I think, on the show, but if not, let me just take a second here. I got to get a little extra time. There's two things in Malaysia, where I've lived now for 20 years, that are socially acceptable, that in the U.S., where I'm from, unless things have changed, and I don't believe they have, are totally not socially acceptable. You would never, in most places, not everywhere, I don't want to paint with that broad of a brush, but in a lot of places, in 
everyday normal circles, you would not admit to going out to karaoke. It's just not something people do. They do, but it's kind of thought of as a goofy thing. And the other one is bowling. Bowling is big. It's huge. There is a huge, and people make millions bowling, the pros. But bowling in the U.S., for a lot of people, is thought of as what we call kind of a trailer trash sport. You know, like a B-40, lower income, bowling is not, not a socially thing. But I love both of those things. Karaoke and bowling are the coolest things. I absolutely love karaoke. Uh, I haven't gone in a long time. I really, we need to go to karaoke again. And the other one is bowling, which I have not done in ages, and I loved it. So those were a couple of things. There's a lot of things I love about this country. But it is so cool that here in Malaysia, it is not only perfectly acceptable, people brag about and totally enjoy bowling and karaoke, the two things that in, in America are not thought of as all that high class kind of stuff. I mean, it's not high class here. But it's what people do, and they love it, and they're proud of it, and good good for you. Go for it. So, yeah, um, I love bowling, and I will go bowling again. In fact, if I do, I'll get some pictures, and I'll post them on the show. Karaoke, I'm not so sure you want to hear me sing. That that might be an issue, but I love to do it anyway. All right. <laughs> we'll see you on Monday night. Thanks so much for joining us tonight. I Enjoy the rest of your weekend. And uh, yeah, that's it. Thanks, folks. Be sure to like and follow and subscribe and check us out on your podcast supplier, The Jay Sheldon Show. Give us a search. Give us a follow. Give us a subscribe. That's The Jay Sheldon Show, and I will see you again Monday. Good night. Ha, ha, ha.